Welcome to the Social Lights podcast with Kate Vandervoort, where I interview changemakers and innovators on how they connect with their tribe on social media. Brought to you by Social Mediology. Welcome to episode five of the Social Lights podcast. I am here with Matt Botel from Free 3D Hands. Hi, Matt. How are you? I'm great. Thanks, Kate. How are you doing? Yeah, very well. Thank you. It's great to have you here today. I'm going to start out by sharing a little bit of the story about how you and I know each other and how we've come to do this podcast today. So I have a three-year-old daughter, Isabella, and she was born without her left hand. And we found out at 20 weeks that she didn't have her left hand. And in true CEO style, I went into finding out what solutions there were going to be for her when she was born. And I literally, I fronted up at the children's hospital and they were like, wow, we don't normally see mothers when they're still pregnant. We normally, you know, see the baby once the baby's born. And I was like, that's fine, but I'm here to find out, you know, what options there are, what alternatives there are. I went to tech conferences and connected with all sorts of people because I was really sure as, you know, a lot of mothers who fiercely want to look after their children are, or parents, I was really sure that I wanted to make sure that we knew exactly what was available. And I don't even remember how I came across your work, Matt, but I think I saw something on TV or I saw something about the work that you were doing. And we met someone locally who was making 3D hands through another international organization. But when I saw your story, I reached out to you because I thought, wow, what an amazing person to know, amazing work that you had started doing at that point. And we've shared this story quite a bit, but, you know, at three weeks old, Isabella was a little bit young to benefit from the amazing devices that you make. But now, three years on, we are absolutely benefiting from your work. And you were one of the people who was a real inspiration to me in starting this podcast, because podcast is all about interviewing change makers and innovators who are changing the way that things are done in the world and traditional prosthetics and the things that we've been offered or not offered for Isabella has really shown us in the last three years how important what you are doing is because you absolutely provide something that we have not been able to get elsewhere. So I'm really thrilled to be here interviewing you today and sharing some of your story because what you do is amazing and has certainly been life-changing for our family. And I express that gratitude often, Matt. I know that you know how grateful we are for what it is that you have done for Isabella. But let's take people back a bit so that they can understand a little bit about the journey. And the first question that I always ask is, what lights you up? What inspires you to get out of bed in the morning? Wow, that's a really, really good question. I, every morning when I wake up, when I'm driving to our factory, I'm really, really excited, to be honest, because I'm doing something that I'm so passionate about and really, really enjoy. And just knowing that what I do puts smiles on people's faces. For me, that is just so much drive, being able to just share a little bit of myself with others, uh, doing what I really, really enjoy. Yeah, I mean, so many people say, you know, family and friends and all of those amazing things get them out of bed in the morning. But from everything that I know of you, your 
And of course, your family are critically important, and I'm sure we will talk about them. But your drive to do what you do just shines out in absolutely everything that you do. And it's so inspirational to watch that because not a lot of people, there are plenty of people who love what they do and know that they're doing the right thing. But I think you get that in every cell of your body. You know, you ooze the passion that you put into your work. So tell us a little bit about your journey up until launching Free 3D Hands. You know, what were you doing before you were doing this? So I worked as an engineer at Toyota, actually. I was working there for about 10 years as a senior engineer, and my specialty was lean manufacturing, being an industrial engineer. And my job was to improve processes, to make things more efficient, to reduce waste out of processes. And I was really, really um, good at it. I was a good engineer. And you know, I help a lot of suppliers to improve their processes. But, you know, I always knew what day it was. I always knew when it was Monday. You know, I knew when it was a Wednesday and when you'd gone over that 12 o'clock hump and, you know, thank God it's Friday and looking forward to the weekend. So it's very, very different than I feel now. You know, I get to a Friday and I wish there were a couple more days before the weekend, even though I enjoy that time immensely spending it with the family. So it's really been a big change in my life after Toyota closing in 2017 and having to make that decision on you know, what the next step was for me. And so you were made redundant from Toyota and what happened straight after that? Did you think about looking for a job and going back into employment or was it just really so obvious what was next? In 2014, when they announced the closure, that was a time of real reflection for me. You know, we were given three and a half years notice that we would be closing down and the company did help us to transition out of the company. But for me, it was just a simple question. You know, if money did not exist and if we completely eliminated money from the equation, what would I do with my life? And for me, it was just something that I wanted to do to keep in a positive mindset initially during that three and a half years of the automotive industry decline. And I just initially had a very, very small vision and I tapped back into my passion of, you know, bionics and just wanted to make one hand for one kid. And that's all it started out being. And, you know, when I was at Monash University, they sent me over on a scholarship to Chibi University. And, and at that time I tested a $1 million bionic hand and my eyes just lit up, you know. It was absolutely amazing technology that could you know, read the signals in your arm and open and close and to try that. I was just like, wow, it was like something out of Star Wars, you know, when Luke Skywalker um, had his hand chopped off by Darth Vader. And in the next scene, he's got this, you know, incredible bionic arm. But at the same time, I remember feeling really, really saddened that, you know, this million dollar arm probably won't ever filter down to the people in the world that really, really need it the most. And so... During this difficult time at Toyota, I really tapped back into that, you know, and thought, you know, is there a way that I can use my engineering skills during this time to do something positive and give back to society? And it did become just a little bit addictive. <laughs> and so there, you know, there's another organisation, there's a few organisations that have been doing this for a little while. Why didn't you just take the patterns that are available online, because what you've actually innovated and where you've taken these devices to is quite remarkable, particularly in the time frame that you have. So 
what was it about? Did you see what already existed and you thought you could do something else? Or yeah, so in 2014, I initially became a volunteer for a group called Enable over in the United States. And at the time, they were very small and they grew exponentially um, over the coming years. But, you know, making their designs and the initial hands that I made were open source designs through Enable. And I started collaborating with certain designers around the world involved in that group. And I just found that some of the designs could be improved significantly. I think that was probably my engineering lean manufacturing background, you know, how do we make these things stronger? How do we make them more aesthetic? How do we reduce the noise? How do we make them more adaptable? And it was over those three and a half years that I started to design, you know, things that currently weren't being made, like, you know, individual fingers, like the kinetic finger that I designed and started sharing those ideas with the group uh, so that, you know, as a community, we could really accelerate and improve this technology to make them more accessible. And so how do you have that conversation with your wife? Hi, darling, I've decided I'm going to make hands for people that can't afford them and I'm not going to get paid to do that. But, you know, <laughs> yeah, how well, did that conversation go? Initially, it was something that was my sort of thing that I just did in my own time. You know, I had one 3D printer in the lounge room and the kids were so young that we had a baby fence around it so that, you know, the kids wouldn't hurt themselves by reaching into it. And then, you know, that turned into three 3D printers and they ended up on the kitchen table. And that was when my wife started really looking at me a bit strange and, and you know, saying, oh, how many of these things are you going to get? And then that three ended up being um, six in the spare room. So no one could no longer come and stay. But my wife was very supportive initially, you know, to allow me to do that. And, you know, but it was always something that was my baby. It was something that I was doing and she didn't have much involvement with it. But it was really when I walked out of that gate for the last time at Toyota that I really started to feel the support of my wife. She said, Matt, if this is your passion, then just follow it. And she really supported me to be able to you know, alleviate that fear. And it was a few weeks after I was made redundant. I was actually one of the finalists for the Victorian Australian of the Year Awards. And it was something that I wasn't really that interested in. And I actually very politely declined the offer of going to government house in my most polite words. But my wife actually talked me into it. She said, look, Matt, you've lost your job. You know what you want to do, but you have no idea how you're going to do it. Go along with it because you never know who you're going to meet along the way. And as it turns out, it was the best decision I made because I met some really incredible people that have helped me to find a way to sustain and expand my volunteer activities at the time. Oh, smart woman, your wife, and how, you know, I haven't met Yuka yet, but every correspondence I've had with her, every contact that I've had with her, she is just as caring and supportive and loving as you have been through all of this process. So you make a formidable team <laughs> yeah, She's very organised, unlike myself. <laughs> Creative people are usually very unorganised and things all over the place, but she's been great to really put some sort of structure into what I do, great with communicating um, with people. And I tell you, like the last couple of years, we've grown as a couple and got to become a lot closer through this volunteer work and working together towards a common goal. So it's been really, really great. And she's integral in our team now to ensure that, you know, we can 
grow and uh, expand sustainably with some sort of structure behind what we do. And what about the kids? Are they interested in what you're doing? Is it a full family affair? It is. You know, the kids come into the factory after school and they'll help us to assemble the hands even. And, you know, but for them, it's very, very normal what we do. And, you know, because from a very, very young age, I've had them taking you know, the hands, helping to pack them into the boxes and actually take them to the post office. So I'm actually hoping that, you know, what we're doing becomes a very, very normal thing to our kids, not something unique or special, you know, that helping others with no expectation of reward, you know, is a normal thing. I think that's the true giving, you know, and I think that that's the way society needs to become, where it's not about personal gain. It's about having a high regard for the welfare of others. Mm, What a gift to give to your kids. So tell us, Matt, a little bit about the vision for free 3D hands. I suppose the ultimate goal for me is for every child, every person in this world to have access to devices that are going to improve their quality of life. And the vision for me is not to disrupt and to dominate and bring all of the the whole pie to ourselves and supply. It's to try and encourage the bionic developers and prosthetists around the world to find smarter ways to do things. And I only want to set an example of that. We don't want to be manufacturing for the entire world. That would obviously be impossible. I want the world to start focusing on those that don't have access to assistive technology. I think making designs open source to encourage others to innovate and make things at a much lower cost without the requirement of very expensive parts coming in from all over the world to enable and empower communities, you know, whether that's a prosthetics clinic or, you know, even individual makers where there's um, no access to, you know, a skilled workforce to be able to give that, that opportunity for people to be able to make and access this sort of technology. I think one of the things that truly makes you a change maker and that inspires me most about what you do and being a recipient of your services and somebody who needs to navigate the system here in Australia, because of course there are international needs, but there are even needs here in Australia. And it's a very, like a lot of healthcare, it's a very traditional model that we operate from. And there isn't always a lot of room for innovation and testing the boundaries and changing the way that things have always been done. And I know that there's a belief here that everybody has access to, so in Australia, for those who are not in Australia, uh, we have the National Disability Insurance Scheme, which is the NDIS. And there's kind of this belief that everybody's covered by that and everybody can access whatever they need in this space. And we are still on a wait list to even be determined to see whether we can apply for funding, let alone whether we'll be accepted or not. But we've actually been told each step of the way through our healthcare providers that we won't get that funding. And so for us, we literally, and no one's even talked to us about prosthetics because it's just assumed that we wouldn't get the funding and therefore we couldn't afford to buy a prosthetic, which could be ten or $15,000. And for a, you know, a child like Isabella, who is very high functioning, you know, she gets on with life, she just does what she does. And, 
she doesn't need a lot of help, but there are things, and this is why we came to you. There are things like riding her bike safely or, you know, being able to hold something or even just push something, but just small day-to-day -day tasks that seem really obvious and easy for everybody else, hugely transformational for her to be able to do that. And we wouldn't be able to do that with the traditional model and systems that are here. Talk to us a little bit about the hands and the devices, because you make more than just the hands, but talk to us a bit about the devices that you make and the kind of impact that that has on the people that receive those. First is that I was actually quite surprised why so many families here in Australia were actually coming to ask us to make a device. And over the years, it became obvious that I think there's a flaw in our system in how people access the NDIS. And I think the reason being that it's a disability insurance scheme and disability has a negative connotation to it. And from what I've heard, people who have accessed the services um, say that it's quite heartbreaking because you have to prove how your child is unable to live a normal life. And for a lot of parents with kids with hand differences, they raise their children to be resilient to be able to adapt and to live a very, very normal life. And it's a positive thing. But all of a sudden, you have to say why your child needs to be fixed. You know, and we've been told that by the hospital, that yeah. when we get assessed, we have to show the deficiencies that Isabella has. And we have to prove that she has a real need for anything that we might apply for. And you're absolutely right. We are raising her to... Absolutely. And yeah. And you know, one of the most beautiful pieces of advice that I was given, and I'm pretty sure it was while I was pregnant, I was talking to the swim school where our other daughter swims. And I was saying, you know, we're going to have a child who's being born with only one hand. And what will that mean in terms of swimming? And she said, Kate, First, she said, breathe, you know, calm down. She's not here yet. <laughs> Things will unfold. And she said, the one piece of advice I can give you is don't ever tell her what she can't do. Let her figure it out for herself. And yeah. she said, that's what we will do here. We will have her in the class at, like anybody else. We will ask her to do what everybody else does. And then as we figure out or she lets us know what she can or can't do, then we'll adapt as we need to. And I think it's one of the things that's so beautiful about what you do is that it's not just here's one solution and you've got it for the next year or the next five years. Let's just keep trying things and adapt and you need to do this. Let's figure out a solution for that. I think it's a lot to do with our, our mindset that it's not about fixing somebody. It's about just saying, okay, you have this condition. How can we enhance or how can we give you new opportunities so you're starting at a base level we're all beautifully different we're all different yeah right and it's about having it that as a baseline and saying okay how do we enhance your ability how can we give you more opportunities rather than being disabled and so how do we bring you up to normal hmm. and for me it's just about giving kids new opportunities to try new things for example this is something that you would buy in a shop as an able-bodied person it's a tool to help you to throw a dog ball further, you know, if you're not a very good thrower, so that you can throw it at a distance that your dog is going to enjoy going and collecting the ball. And it's an assistive device, a tool for able-bodied people to hold. 
and to be able to achieve something that they couldn't do before. And we view all of our devices as exactly the same. They're not prosthetics. They are tools to help kids with limb differences to try new things. And the hands that we design, one of your, that your daughter, Izzy, actually has, is exactly, the way I see it is exactly the same. It's something that you, you can use as a tool to allow you to do a, a new task. And in this case, to open and close fingers to hold on to small objects. And for those who are on the podcast, we'll have some photos on the Social Lights Facebook page so that you can actually see some of the things that Matt is making. Because I think one of the things to really let people know is that, you know, Isabella doesn't wear the hands that you've created all the time. In fact, she only wears them for specific things. So she'll wear them to ride her bike or to ride her scooter. Or if she wanted to sweep up after dinner the other night and she asked if she could put the hand on to hold the pan for the dustpan and brush. So thank you very much for that. (laughs) But for her, even though she doesn't wear it all the time and she tends to carry it around and show people, so she'll go, you know, look at my hand, but she's not necessarily wearing it. What it's done for her confidence is so heartwarming and is so, we feel so grateful for this whole experience and what it has done for her confidence because she literally has just come into her own and she just shines with confidence now. And not that she didn't have confidence before, but it's just given her a new sense, I guess, that her difference is, you know, we talk a lot about different is awesome. Yeah. And this just really helps her to celebrate that. She's like, you know, not only am I different and that's awesome, but look at my totally awesome hand. (laughs) So it's been, that confidence has just been so beautiful to see blossom in her. Oh, thank you. Because that was our whole intention. You know, it wasn't something that I wanted her to be wearing all day and to be hiding her small hand, you know, but for her to be able to get that sort of confidence and, and joy, that's really all it's about for us. So that's so wonderful to hear. Thank you. And I think one of the other things that we haven't mentioned yet is just the costs involved. And I think it's important that people, this isn't an either or, this isn't a, you know, these devices opposed to prosthetics because you collaborate extensively with prosthetists and hospitals and health professionals, but it's another option for people. And so talk to us a little bit about the costs and the process and why it is that this can be so agile. Well, the beautiful thing with 3D printing is that you can customise a design Per individual, for example, if you're talking about injection molding processes, you have to make things in in the same size in large batches to make them viable. But with 3D printing, we're able to make hands that are different sizes. You know, you can get that model, you can flip it, you can reverse it, you can scale it up, you know, 0.01% in any direction if you like. So it's very flexible and a very low waste process. There is zero waste in this you know, traditional processes with the manufacturer of prosthetics, you have a plaster cast and then that is shaped and modified and then you make a, you know, a socket that, that goes over that. But there's a lot of energy, a lot of time and a lot of waste in that process. And I think, not to say there's anything wrong with that process, but I think it can be improved in the long term as the 3D printing technology improves and materials become stronger And I think if there's less waste, there's a real opportunity to make them at a lower cost. 
which will make them more accessible to people around the world. So it's really trying to just introduce the technology, put the conversation on the table and get people start to collaborate instead of working in silos to really try and advance this technology at a faster rate. So what does it cost to make a hand? This hand here at this size in materials would be about $5 in material. And we use a biodegradable or a compostable material called PLA, which is derived from cornstarch. So from an environmental point of view as well, it's a great material. But there are new materials coming out all the time. And that's the great thing with 3D printing. It's something that's growing so quickly. You know, there are materials called I tested one called Peak, and it's still very, very expensive, but it has a strength, you know, by weight stronger than steel. And, you know, testing a piece of this was just, it's on the same sort of level as carbon fibre. And, you know, for these sorts of materials to be, you know, more and more available, I think it opens a real opportunity for, you know, for people to continue to innovate and make these things at a much reduced cost, whether that's coming through someone like, myself or through a prosthetist or orthodist around the world. The young generation of prosthetists, even here in Australia, it's been great to really start to collaborate and share ideas as well. There's a prosthetist up in Queensland that contacted me recently saying, look, you know, there's a kid that is transradial that would like to, you know, have an attachment for them to play drums. And, you know, they asked for my input into how possibly they could design it. So it's great to be able to just openly share, you know, even though they're going to make a product to end up, you know, selling. But if I can use my engineering mind, you know, to help to push that innovation and then, you know, they'll make that and then they'll probably make that for another 10 kids or other prosthetists will start to, you know, to adopt that thinking. You know, there's the traditional mindset of prosthetics is everything must have a socket, right? where the socket becomes the limitation because kids grow out of it so quickly. But I think there are ways around sockets and, you know, visiting a lot of the research facilities around the world, um, you know, prosthetic and bionic innovators, there are a lot that are actually going away from sockets and making, you know, even just strap on leather pieces, you know, that strap directly to the arm that can adapt with growth. And, you know, for something that's not load bearing, you know, something that's just a thrower ball to a dog or to serve a tennis ball, I don't believe that everything must have a socket. You know, there are, I think there are other solutions to that. And, you know, it's great to be able to really raise those sorts of questions to, you know, for then you know, medical professionals in the industry to really start questioning current practices and looking for better ways to do things. And when we took the first hand that you made for Isabella, when we took that into the limb clinic for Isabella's appointment, they were blown away because they had told us that, you know, we probably wouldn't be eligible for a prosthetic. And so when we came back with our own solution, yeah, they couldn't believe how functional it was for her and how, you know, easy it was for her. They took video of her with her hand. And I know they were certainly interested in looking at connecting and collaborating around that. So it's fantastic to see some more of the traditional medical models being open to the change and innovation that needs to happen in this space. I'm really glad that you did that because when we do provide a device, we strongly suggest that before use, that you have it you know, reviewed by an occupational therapist or a prosthetist to assess whether to use the device at all. You know, we've had some really, really great feedback and, you know, attending this conference over in Japan recently, 
I was actually approached by an occupational therapist from a hospital in New South Wales, um, saying that many kids had actually brought our devices in and she was really, really encouraging on the designs and approached me to start collaborating and you know, doing some tests of the devices in terms of the longevity and functionality uh, so we can start to put some data to that you know, so that we can speak in a forum with you know, traditional prosthetists around the world to show you know, the potential of this technology. Individually, I think we can change the lives of others. When we do collaborate and work together, that's when we can change the world. Mm, absolutely. Very wise words. So shifting gears just a little bit, can you talk to me about the community that you have around free 3D hands and how you use social media and connect with people? One of the things I've been blown away in getting to know you and your organisation is just how much support that you have. And, you know, what you do ignites the hearts and minds of people. And so talk to us a little bit about some of the support that you have in the community that's around you. When we finished up at Toyota and I had this vision to really expand what we're doing, there was only one place that I could think of where I wanted that to happen. And that was down in Victoria on Phillip Island, where I grew up and having such a small tight-knit community I just knew that if we started this here, that we'd have so much support from the local community. And, you know, we've got hundreds of people on Phillip Island wanting to volunteer as we expand. You know, just any skill that they've got. We've got, you know, retired newspaper editors, you know, that wanting to help even with, you know, sharing the stories of what we do. You know, we've got an occupational therapist who's retired and now working, you know, several days a week with us. And, you know, we've got high school students that are coming in after school and helping us, you know, with the 3D printing and the assembly and even the design, teaching them how to, to design. And it's just, you know, amazing. Every day we've got people coming in saying, how can we help? How can we be a part of this? And online sharing, you know, our stories. It's amazing how many people around the world, you know, you can really expand your reach globally using social media. You know, how many, you know, people from all walks of life are just coming in and wanting to share their skills, you know, in their profession, in their interest with us. I've got university lecturers and professors in anatomy, you know, wanting to say, hey, is there anything that we, any sort of information that they've got or any sort of resources that they might have that will help with our designs. And I think through sharing the journey with others, that's how a lot of people have been able to come on board and support completely openly. It's not about, you know, self-gain. It's just about sharing positive stories of, of some of the kids, you know, that have received our devices. And it's amazing how far that news travels. You know, we got an award from the Queen in May, which was a real surprise. And I was, how on earth did she hear about, you know, what we're doing? You know, and it just, for me, that was another tap on the shoulder just to tell us that we're doing the right thing and to continue moving forward because it has been a very difficult couple of years you know, utilising that redundancy payout to get to where we are. It's one of the things that I am so inspired by every time I speak to you, every time you do something that just shows such care for our daughter and for our family. You're probably going to feel a little bit uncomfortable about me saying this, but Matt is one of the most, if not the most selfless human being and Yuka that I have ever come across. And the gift that you give to families 
I'm going to try not to get too emotional here, but the gift that you give to families is life-changing. And I know that you know that and that you get that feedback from people. But Matt has worked, I'm talking about you, not to you for a moment. Matt has worked for, and Yuka, for two years unpaid doing this work. And I know that you fundamentally don't agree with drawing a wage from donations that come from mums and dads and from the public. And Mm -hmm. that's really noble. I would love to put a call out and we are doing a lot behind the scenes to try and help support this as well, but would love to put a call out to anyone that's in a position to help support this work. It truly is change making. It's innovative. It's life changing And it doesn't cost a lot to make this truly remarkable, not just here in Australia, but internationally. So we might start to wrap up on that. But Matt, tell people how they can get in contact with you and how they can connect with you on social media. So we have a website called Free 3D Hands, and that's at www.free3dhands.org. And we also have a page on Facebook and Instagram. On our website, we have all of our designs. People can, if they need a device, they can go on and fill in an application form. Um, It's got all of our links to where they can donate as well. You know, as you mentioned, you know, we do find it very difficult to draw wages from the charity. And we are doing a call out to corporates to sponsor us as a charity by making a tax deductible donation with the intent of wages being able to be drawn from that. Uh, so that, you know, mother, father and pensioner donations go directly towards making hands. And as you mentioned, that's the way we believe that things should be. Hmm. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Matt. Is there anything else that you want to share before we wrap up? I do. I do. And, you know, Kate, you spoke to me after you received the hand and you said, look, we'd like to pay for this hand. And I fundamentally, you know, for me, that was not what we wanted you know, I think that's how we get all of our satisfaction is knowing that we have been able to give something with no expectation of reward. And, but I did ask you to share a little bit of yourself with other people, you know, to be like a, a ripple effect, you know, through something that you enjoy and you have, you, and you've shared your skills with us. You've helped us tremendously to improve our social media use. You know, our page was looking pretty sad before you started looking at it. And, you know, you've been able to help connect us with a larger audience. And I'm just glad that, you know, you've been able to share a little bit of yourself with others as well and through this podcast as well, you know, to to reach out. And, And I think each and every one of us has something very, very special that we can share with others. And when you do decide to share a little bit of yourself through something that you enjoy, you know, it's really is life changing and gives so much happiness and joy. And I think each and every one of us has the ability to do that. So thank you so much for your support through your social media support. And thank you for the opportunity to be able to share the journey with your listeners. It's such a pleasure. Thank you very much, Matt. That's a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on the Social Lights podcast produced by Social Mediology. You can connect with us on Facebook at Social Lights Podcast and you can find today's show notes and more episodes at socialmediology.com.au forward slash social lights. Please subscribe in your favourite podcast platform to receive future episodes and share with your tribe to inspire others to action.